morning and pray. Um, uh, Zach's here. Is Riley? Did I see Riley? Riley's here somewhere, right? Oh, oh all the way over there. Um, why don't you two guys come up here? We're going to pray for you too. Yeah. Um, they are going to be going to Ohio. We have our we have our national we have our national fine arts is in Ohio this year, and uh, it's a coordinated with our general council. Our staff will be there too, but uh, they're going for uh, the fine arts competition stuff. And this is at the national level, and it's a little scary, isn't it, Riley? Okay. <laughs> Zach's an old hand now. He's done this so many times. He doesn't. But uh, this is just a good opportunity for them to, it's, it's going to broaden their horizon. They see things differently. They also see what uh, competition at a national level is, which is um, eye-opening if all you have done is Colorado level. And, uh, and so it, it's good. We're going to pray for them. Why don't you guys stand with us? You don't have to come surround them. But, um, but I, think, I think the youth should, yeah. Uh, and we're going to pray for them. Lord, we ask you to take them. Uh, into this, knowing that they uh, that you've given them talents and abilities, and that they're using this for you, and God help them to never, never lose that. That it doesn't become about them, but it becomes about glorifying you with with how you've designed them, what you've done with them, how you've created them, and also the time and, and energy and the hours that they've put into this. That that uh, you'll just walk with them through this, and then when they get to the national level and they get up there and, and see all the others, that this is truly about seeing how they can be used by you in the long term for their life. Lord, we so much want that. And also just to give them a good peace in their spirit and help them to do the very best that they can do in you. That, uh, that, that when they walk out of there, they are confident they gave it the best and that it was the best that they could accomplish. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for this. Um, keep us all safe as we're traveling um, to Ohio in a couple weeks. And, God, we, we hand all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If they win, uh, we will have them uh, perform for you. But if they lose, not going to happen. Uh, sprinkles are for winners. So. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to tell you. I want to say this again. I want to push this again. Guys, please, please go watch Sound of Freedom if you have not watched this. Please go watch that movie. It's, uh, I think it's very important. It's educational. It'll broaden your horizons. You won't enjoy it. Please go see that movie. Uh, it's necessary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on my son here a little bit. Um, his wife went to see the movie, and uh, she had the same reaction that I did and that many of you that have seen it will have. It's... It breaks your heart. It doesn't, you don't walk out of there going, wow, that was fun. Um, it's very heartbreaking. But <clears throat> my son did not go see it, and he keeps telling me he's not going to because he doesn't want that. He doesn't want to walk down that road. But he needs to, and you need to. Because why? This is, this is, this is the world we live in, and this is the spiritual battles that we are fighting for the lives of little kids. And I think you've I think you got to go down that road. It's challenging. It's difficult. But I think you've got to go down that road, and you have to think about it, and you have to process it. And, uh, and so I say to him again publicly, um, he needs to go see that. <laughs> and I say to all of you, you need to go see it. 
okay? You really do. Um, I think it's just necessary. And, and all the stuff you hear in the media, don't worry about all that stuff. That's just stupid. It's just the media is trying to keep you from seeing this. All of the stuff that this is somehow QAnon and all that, it's not. It's none of that stuff. Um, but Satan doesn't want you to see it, and he uses the media to do a lot of his work. And so just don't pay attention to them and go see the movie. <clears throat> I do want to, I know there's stuff that's coming out all the time still about COVID. I haven't mentioned this in a long time. I haven't brought some details to it, but I, I just want to process a little bit and, and help you kind of see what I think is about to happen. Uh, we've seen, we've just seen a lot of the, the, it's just like every, if you're looking online websites and things like that, there's so much information out there that's coming out every day about COVID and the vaccine and how dangerous the vaccine is and how many people knew that at the beginning, where COVID came from, the Wuhan lab. Every, I mean, all this stuff is like very obvious general knowledge now, unless, unless all you listen to is CNN and then you're not getting any of this stuff. But there is, there is a lot of information out there now talking about what has happened over the last three plus years with all of this, the, uh, the COVID, the pandemic, the vaccine, and all the different things involved with this. Um, here's just one little one. Um, remember, COVID didn't come from a man-made lab. Remember, this was the narrative for so long. It came from some um, monkeys and uh, swapping animals in some kind of place with bats. I mean, just all kinds of stupidity, okay? Um, it, there wasn't a Wuhan lab. Uh, we never sent money to it. Fauci never had anything to do with the Wuhan lab. This was all the narrative, right, two, three years ago. More and more and more. Uh, just came out this week that President Biden put a stop to all funding to the Wuhan lab that we were never given money to and that didn't exist, but now we stop the funding to it. Guys, this is all just a big corrupt, corrupt money-making joke that we've been walking in over the last three years. And this was never about the health of any person. It was about control and money. Control and money is all it's been about from the beginning. And the worldwide context of this is worldwide control. This was a test. This was a, a beta on how is the world going to respond to this? Now, with all that said, they're already preparing for the, the next one. They're already making vaccines for the next one, which is interesting because theoretically, we don't know what the next one is, but they're making vaccines for it. This whole thing is goofy. Okay, they're already setting protocols into place, specifically the uh, World Health Organization is setting protocols into place with the United Nations for the next pandemic. This is, this is open news. You can find this anywhere. Um, this, is, this is what you've got to be processing is there is another pandemic coming. It is another control mechanism. It has nothing to do with anybody's health. It never had anything to do with anybody's health. There's another one coming, and it's because it's control. And this is not just World Health Organization. They're just a pawn of the World Economic Forum, and that's where it's coming from that they're trying to control the planet. So here's what I've been telling everybody. I do a lot of town halls. I speak as much as I can, but it is a tiny little blip on the screen worldwide. But I try to tell everybody I can. And the next one comes along, don't participate. Just don't participate. Businesses, don't participate. You say, well, they'll shut us down and all this stuff. Their goal long-term is to shut you down anyway. 
And here's the thing you might just want to process. There are businesses that are becoming very wealthy right now because they're suing the government for what happened last time, three years ago. So you may want to make it your long-term retirement plan. <clears throat> don't do what they say and then sue them later. Uh, I don't know how, don't write, I mean, don't make a plan on that. Okay, I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> it's not your retirement plan. Um, but we don't have to give in. We don't have to give in. I, I, there's only one, I never wore masks. I never did any of that stuff, except in hospitals. But, um, and you still got to wear them in hospitals. Shouldn't that be the first place that dropped them? Either way. So, oh, did you guys see that uh, In-N-Out Burger made it uh, illegal now for their employees? Not illegal, but against the rules for their employees to wear masks. <laughs> this, I don't, they're from California, aren't they? Aren't In-N-Out Burger from California? That doesn't sound like California. Now you can't wear a mask. Why? Because they realize it's one of the most unhealthy things we can do. Now, the, the, all I'm saying that to say, just don't participate next time. Don't participate. Just don't. Just opt out. Right? And you can make whatever up. It's because of, of some belief in a system or ethnicity or something. Just make something up. They'll buy that stuff nowadays. <laughs> and just don't participate. <laughs> all right. So, I... Uh, This is the second part of last week. I talked about hell last week. It was fun, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun. Um, this week, I'm going to talk about heaven. And I'm going to try. I didn't get finished very good in first service. Um, I will try to be done on time in second service. Um, in fact, at noon, guys, just get up and walk out. That's what I say. Push back against the man. Just get up and walk out. But I'm gonna, I want to talk about hell. Now, remember the groups that I talked about last week. So you have, you have Christians that believe, uh, people that believe in God. I don't want to call them Christians, okay? Uh, There's too broad of a, Christian is a narrow thing. I want to broaden it out. Um, people that believe in God and believe in heaven and hell. People that believe in God and only believe in heaven um, don't believe in hell. People that believe in God, again, I've never found anybody that believes in God but only believes in hell. Right? So I don't, I mean, I guess that could be a category, but I've never met that person. Um, and then people that believe in God that do, uh, do not believe in heaven or hell. Okay? This, this last group, this, they believe in God, but they don't believe in heaven and hell. Usually they, there is a, um, there's a disconnect in some particular point. In other words, I would not include them in the category of Christian. They might, there may be some, I don't want to overdo that statement, but the reason is because if they believe in God but they don't believe in heaven or hell, they're coming from a, um, a specific theological mindset that includes certain groups, okay, um, but doesn't include belief in Jesus Christ for the most part. And these groups can be like um, Muslims. They say they believe in God. Now, I don't think it's the same God that I believe in. I talked about that some last week. Uh, Mormons. Mormons believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't believe that he is the part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. They believe he's God, but not the same way God the Father is or the Holy Spirit, okay? And then uh, Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witness are really strong on this. They, they believe that there's no heaven and hell because they believe that uh, everything is going to end up in a, in a good place. We're all going to arrive at the right um, 
place, but that place is not going to be the way I'm going to show you through Scripture what we could call heaven, but it's a place on earth. And they believe that life is going to get better and better and better, and that eventually um, we're all going to be in like nirvana, but we're going to stay on the earth, okay? Uh, which is interesting because you're still going to have mosquitoes, which means it can't be nirvana. So that's just my little, that's my thing. But, but they, they don't believe that there is a place that we leave um, life as we know it and on this uh, planet, terra firma, and, and go somewhere else. They don't believe that. They believe it all just gets better and better and better. Now, here, let me, let me throw this out here before I jump into this heavily, just so you can process. Um, I'm, not, I'm not being uh, critical of the theological mindset here, but I, I am critical, extremely critical, of the end point of some groups with this. And this is the theological mindset. Is uh, Nowadays, what is called, it's becoming very popular in evangelical circles, uh, the seven mountains, I'm sure many of you have heard about this. If not, let me explain it. A simple explanation is all of the seven major areas of society, uh, the church is supposed to get in those areas and, 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 like, take them over. And I believe very strongly in that. I think that is solid. I don't have any problem with that. Um, but where I hear the extension of this is, and, I, and I, there's books about it now, there's a lot of stuff about this, is that when the church steps into those seven arenas in society and we take those over, which, again, I believe strongly we need to be doing that. In fact, this is one of the things I think the church is supposed to be involved in politics. Jesus was. We should just be like him and be involved in what's going on in every single moment around us all the time. You should be involved in the public school systems, all this kind of stuff. But the theology says that when we do that, that when we uh, capture all those seven mountains and get in that, that then Jesus will come back. Okay, there's a problem with that, a big, big problem. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere, okay? Should we be involved in these things? Yes, the church has been negligent in so many ways, not getting involved in certain stuff. We just leave those arenas to whatever, and then there's real problems happening, real problems. That's why you should watch the movie Sound of Freedom. So there's real stuff going on out there, and the church has not been engaged. But once we get engaged in all those areas, even if we have the ability to actually take them all over and really own them, which I don't know, um, when I read the kind of the end of the story, it doesn't appear that we did that. Um, but that doesn't mean Jesus is coming back. There's, there's some explanation in Scripture as to when Jesus is coming back, but it's not that. And, and if that's kind of the end game, we have to be careful because that is, that's taking you down a theological road that it, it ends in a dead end. I think it will be a very disappointing dead end when we get to that point as the church. The church does this, right? We have these great moments, and then we turn it into something that's not real, and then we hit a wall, and we go, well, how did this happen, Right? Um, the Bible says that when the gospel is preached to every people group, every ethnos, every ethnicity across the planet, that Jesus will come back. Not when we get involved in all the stuff, again, which we need to. All right? So I think you've got to be careful of that kind of stuff because there is a mentality that changes what we call eschatology. There's an eschatological change because we take beliefs on certain things. It changes. You say, well, if as long as we're serving Jesus, it'll all be all right. 
Yeah, but even the way you begin to serve Jesus changes depending on how you think it's all going to end. Okay? For example, just a, a, a nihilistic approach, if you think we're just all going to end up in the grave and that's it, you will live differently than if you think that there is a heaven and Jesus has got a plan for us. I think you live differently. You process differently. Okay, so with that, uh, John chapter 14, this, this, is, um, this is a story. It's not really a story. Um, it's an explanation that Jesus begins to give that immediately all the Jewish people would have understood stuff that for us, we first don't have a natural uh, background of understanding, and second, we actually get some of it wrong, and I'll, and I'll explain some of this. Um, John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So, so that's the starting point. Jesus is saying, your, your plan, your goal, the direction of your life is to trust in him. When, when we establish that, a lot of the other stuff throughout Scripture actually becomes easier and more understandable. But the reason we struggle so much often in, in our Christian walk and holiness and all this other kind of thing is we're not actually trusting God. We're trusting all of the stuff of our life, and then we just want the Lord to come over and kind of bless it all and, you know, partner with us. Um, just, 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 just partner. Be a good partner. Except Jesus never says, I'm going to come uh, along and be a partner with you. He says he's God. He's the judge. He's the sovereign king. All these different things, and we're supposed to submit and surrender. And that's not a very popular way to uh, look at Christianity nowadays, but it is the biblical way. And so he says, first, trust in God, trust also in me. Then he explains what this is going to look like. There's more than enough room in my father's home. Immediately, the Jewish people at that time would have understood what he was talking about. We don't understand this because this is not our culture. It's not our, our background. We, we, every single part of what, what he's explaining here is not part of our understanding. Okay, look, look, let, me look, let me unpack this. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you always be with me where I am and you know where I'm going. Now, this is, this is a basic understanding at that time of Jesus' life of a cultural every, a paradigm everybody was under is how marriage works, right? How the, merit, how the wedding mentality happens. When Jesus says, I'm, there's enough room in my father's home, this is the, the, the Jewish, a Jewish male at that time living in his father's home. They arrange the marriage. Okay, this is not, you don't go out and pick your wife. You don't go out and... and and pick your husband. You don't do that stuff. Now, depending on how your parents and, and how the people are doing it, you can have some great input. But there are many places across the planet right now that marriages are still arranged. In America, we have this dating thing that causes a lot of problems. A lot of problems on a lot of levels. Now, I know the, 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 the younger crowd doesn't like it when guys like me say this stuff. But it's, it's uh, dangerous. Hey, you two not adults... You go out and go hang out by yourself and do all this other stuff, and you act like adults, and you do all the things, and then we wonder why that uh, promiscuity is so um, out there, it's so strong, and how difficult it is for a teenager to process that and not fall into those traps. We make it almost impossible for them to not 
um, have sex before marriage. Make it very, very difficult for them. They're gonna, they have to work very hard by themselves to accomplish this. Now, I know the people that say, well, we don't do the dating thing. We don't, I, whatever plan you come up with is fine. I'm not attacking dating specifically, except that it's, it's a horrible, dangerous pit. Okay, so, <clears throat> so then <clears throat> he says, I'm going to my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. What, what, what does he mean by prepare a place for you? Well, every Jewish person would have known at that time. When, when, um, when the guy is about to get married, the marriage is arranged, everything's set, she knows that, it's, that uh, they're engaged, he knows they're engaged, but they don't know when they're going to get married. His job is to build a room off of the house of the father, maybe a couple of rooms. But it's dad's home, and he's building some rooms off of it, okay? And then the the groom, he's waiting for the father to say, go get your bride. And he's watching to see if the guy builds the apartment right, builds this little two-bedroom apartment off. It's part of the house. It goes into the house of the father. Now, here's where some of this stuff is such a big disconnect for us. We listen to how we look at marriage and life. Can you imagine... Um, saying, well, I'm just, well, actually, this probably is. I'm just going to live, I'm going to get married and then just live in my parents' basement. <laughs> I guess it's a little more common than I thought now that I processed this. <laughs> but they would actually stay there. You raise your kids with mom and dad, and, and the, the whole family tree becomes just an integral part. All this stuff is, is connected. And and our understanding of this, we, you know, we do the dating, we make the decisions, we go to our house, we do all this other kind of stuff. There's a disconnect in understanding this. They would have all immediately known this. And I'll tell you another disconnect that I saw when I was growing up is the way that they would define this and understand this from a Christian, American Christian perspective is, um, let, me, let me explain this. If you're younger, you don't know this. If you're older, you know this. Um, there was a song when I was growing up in church, this was the song. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Anybody heard that song? That was so not biblical. <laughs> just wasn't. King James translated the word into mansion. Like we got these separate big domiciles in heaven all to ourself as a disconnected person, that's, that's American thinking first, it's not world thinking, and that somehow it's also very narcissistic, it's, it's self-focused thinking. That is not what this says. In King James it was, when you prepare a place for you, I'll, I've got to, I'm going to build you a mansion. And it was wrong, that was a wrong translation. It means a room on the side of dad's house. <clears throat> that's not a mansion. But if you like dad and you like where he lives, it's really good. If you want to be connected to the father, if you want to be connected to God, then having a room on the side of his existence, there's nothing better. And, and I believe what we did was we cheapened it by saying, well, I've got a mansion in heaven. I don't know where Jesus is. I don't know where God is, but I've got my place. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, I'm going I'm to put it right there with God. And I'll show you that as we get a little bit further into this. 
When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. So verse 5, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? It's because Thomas was not listening. Jesus told him everything he needed to know, but he wasn't listening. First, he said, trust in God, trust in me. That's your starting point. That's your path. See, we think about that in today's society as a, as a side-thinking kind of thing, that I'm going to serve Jesus because I have faith, and that's, and that's something that I attach to my life. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not something you attach. Trusting in Jesus is the path. You're not doing your path, and then you, oh, by the way, you also have faith in Jesus, and you go to church and you do some of that kind of stuff. No, faith in Jesus is the path, and that's where American kind of Christian individualistic thinking really really messes up how we're supposed to serve the Lord, because we think, and I know I pick on this one, the, the, the bumper sticker that says, God's my co-pilot, that's the problem. You're flying the plane, but you want him to bless it. You're choosing the path, and you got your hands on the controls, but you're wanting him to bless it. And he's saying, no, I am the path. Trust in me, and then I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm, Jesus, right now, in the timeline of this story, Jesus is in the preparing a place for us time frame. He's preparing a place for you and me. Well, how do we get there? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We focus on him. He, we make sure we're following him, and, Th- and Thomas wasn't listening to this. He wasn't getting it. He wasn't letting it process what Jesus was actually saying. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way. I'm not helping you with your way. I'm not processing your way. I am the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus, so Thomas is saying, well, I don't understand. What am I supposed to be doing? And Jesus said, I told you, you trust me. With what? With everything. Because why? I am the way. I'm not a way. I'm not an option. I don't come alongside. I am the path. And when you get your, your mind, your, your spirit, your life dedicated to the path, then you understand where I'm preparing for you. But we don't process that very healthily in American Christianity because we've got all of our plans. Well, this is how I want to live my life. This is what I want to do. This is how I think. And for me, it didn't take me long to realize, man, that is a bad path. When I'm, when I'm setting, when I think I'm the way, the truth, the life, that's a bad path. But when I surrender, and that's a, that's a, it's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing but as I surrender to the Lord, it's amazing how he takes us. And, he, and, and the end game, by the way, is the most amazing thing that we call heaven. Okay, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. First thing, is heaven real? Yes, you're dismissed. <clears throat> Thank you, whoever laughed. I appreciate that. Um, so last week I brought some scripture out of, in the Old Testament about hell because that's one of the arguments. There's no hell. How do, why do we say there's no hell? Because there's no Old Testament teaching about hell. Even if there wasn't, there's so much in the New Testament, you would, you would, it would behoove you to pay attention. Same way with, with heaven. There's tons of scriptures in the Old Testament about heaven. I'm going to read one to you. Okay, Isaiah 66 Verse 22, as surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, this, this is, um, 
to me, this is huge. The way, the way Isaiah uses that phrase is the exact same way that it's used in, the, in Revelation. Different language, different writers, hundreds of, of years, about 700 years between. Same exact phraseology here. New heaven, new earth. You will always be my people with a name that will never disappear. That's important too. I'm going to get to that a little bit more too. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. As they go out, again, this is straight out of Revelation, right? Although Revelation hasn't been written yet, but you understand. As they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. And all who pass by will view them with utter horror. This is, this is about hell at the end there. And I talked about this. I didn't use this scripture from last week, but this is another scripture in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that, but we can also see that it's talking about eternity with the Lord. Okay, it's talking about a limited time and space on earth too, but it's talking about, um, it's a transcendent scripture. When it says that uh, my people with a name that will never disappear, that's not earthly, that's not temporal, that's eternal, that's, tran- that's transcendent. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you're the one who knows. And he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. You understand the great tribulation is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. First three and a half is called the tribulation. The second is the great tribulation. These people were martyred, killed during the second three and a half years. And why are those two separate things? Um, Scripture shows us that the Antichrist takes over at the three and a half year mark, becomes possessed by Satan and goes after in a a death and destruction kind of way, goes after uh, the Christians, specifically just, just trying to kill them all. And so this is the, this is the, um, the, all the people that are dying in the great tribulation, the second three and a half years, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. You know, have, you ever, have you ever processed the, the color problems with that statement? Right? I know, that, I know my head goes weird like this, but you're washing all of these robes in blood and they come out white. But that's what Jesus' blood does. He does it for you. He does it for me. His blood makes us white and pure. In fact, the way Ephesians says it is um, that, we are, that we have no spot or blemish. That's, that's just the blood of Jesus. This is why they stand in front of God's throne and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. Now think about our world as he's talking about all this. Because our, this, our world will never get here. Our planet, the people of this earth, will never get to this place. All, all these um, spiritual people around the world and politicians even and everybody that thinks that they can get to a point where we're feeding everybody and taking care of everybody and everybody's good and we're all in this nirvana state and it's like Star Trek. That was the basic idea of Star Trek, by the way. Did you know that? that it was all perfect, everybody had everything, nobody needed or wanted anything. And so that's why you had privates in red uniforms 
and generals in blue uniforms because we're all equal and we all chose this wonderful path of nirvana except the, the guys in red die and the blue generals don't. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. and He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. These are the people that are stepping into presence to the, into the presence of Jesus. And he's going to wipe away their tears. Why? Because they've been crying. Right? At the, at the great white throne of judgment, this is one of the things. Is we... we um, we know that that is the dividing line, that some people spend eternity with Jesus after that, and some people are cast, this is the whole thing last week, are cast into the lake of fire. That's why there's going to be crying at that moment. And, and he says he's going to wipe the tears then, too. You know, in one of the songs we sang today, this, this is just a little thing, okay, but I want you to process this with me. We, it, it used the term, um, the big, the... Uh, or something everlasting throne of grace. Okay? And, and the great white throne of judgment is a throne of grace because some people spend eternity with the Lord and they don't deserve it. All the people that spend eternity with the Lord don't deserve it. So it is a throne of grace. But we've got to be careful because this is one of the ways the church plays with things. It's also a throne of judgment. And I don't think I know any song that says that. This is... This is reality of scripture is it a throne of grace no doubt but it's also a throne of judgment which is the concept that we can't seem to capture about jesus christ he is a god of grace and he's a god of judgment he's a god of mercy but he's also a god of righteousness and justice and if and if you leave all that stuff off you miss the point and by the way you actually miss the point for what heaven is in the process not just the concept of hell Matthew 22, verse 28. So tell us, whose life will she be in the resurrection? Now this is, the, the guys came up to trick Jesus and they said, this lady, she marries this guy, he dies, marries her brother, he dies, marries a brother, he dies. And I think there's seven, he goes through seven layers. And, um, and then they say, okay, now who's she married to in heaven? I mean, that's a legit question, right? I mean, it's a question that we have nowadays, specifically with divorce so strong and things like that. Who are you actually married to when you get to, he to heaven? All right? And I think it's the one you don't like the most. <laughs> no, let's just go to Bible. Don't worry about what I'm saying there. <laughs> Tell us whose wife she will be in the resurrection. For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, your mistake is you don't know the scriptures. You've been studying them. You can quote them. You've got them written on your sleeves and on your headband. You've got them everywhere. But you don't know the scriptures because you haven't, you haven't actually tried to figure out who God is in the process, you tried to figure out how to control man in the process. That's the difference between religion and relationship. He says, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, there will be neither Mary they will, uh, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, this is an interesting thing. I've had a lot of questions about this over the years. The first time I ever got this question was from Linda. We'd been married a couple years, and uh, we were reading through the one-year Bible, and we got to this point, and she said, well, wait a second. 
does that mean you and I are not going to be married in heaven? I said, yeah, it says right there. She said, well, if I can't be married to you, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. And I said, I get that. But here's, here's, here's what's going on here, okay? We have, this is what we do so much with things that are, that are transcendent. And there's a lot of stuff in Scripture God gives us a little bit of information about, but he doesn't tell us all the stuff because, not because he doesn't want us to know, but because we don't have the capacity to understand it. It's not, it's not because he, he's trying to keep something from us. Even some of these scriptures we're reading, we're going to continue to read. We're, we're, we're trying to grasp something that is so outside of our scope that, yes, John is describing some of these things, and, and Jesus is describing these, but we don't have the ability to really understand it because it is so far beyond our limited seeing ability right now. This is 1 Corinthians where it says you're looking through a, a, a cloudy glass. You can't see, you know there's stuff over, you can see stuff, but you can't really understand what's on the other side. You just know there's things. And that's, there are some parts of Scripture that are that way. Now, when it comes to us understanding how to serve Jesus and getting saved and stuff, he makes it very, very clear. Makes it very clear. But there are some things that are left aside. And this is one of my, I, I explained to her at the time, I said, you don't, this, this is the thing is, we're looking at marriage in eternity in relationship to marriage on this earth. And when we step into eternity, we're going to be married to Jesus, and that's going to so eclipse anything on this earth. We're still going to understand. I'm still going to understand that I was married to Linda. Scripture tells us we understand those things, but it's going to be so dwarfed because she's going to be married to Jesus, and I'm going to be married to Jesus, and that is so much bigger than anything we can imagine on this earth. We will never on this earth understand that. Earthly marriage in the best of circumstances is a window to understand that. But that's in the best of circumstances. And even then, it's, it's tiny in comparison to the big picture understanding of this. He says, but now as to whether there will be resurrection of the dead, which is what, he was, what they were talking about and what he was referring to. Haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, this is, this is cool, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not of the dead. Do you realize the moment that you stop being on this earth, you immediately step into the presence of Jesus. If you belong to him, you immediately step into the presence of Jesus. And so God is not over you as a dead person. For God, you're never dead. Does that make sense? Because you step from here into eternity. Now, there's still the grave, and your body's still there, and he's going to raise those bodies out of the grave and give us new bodies. There's a lot of language about all of the stuff, but you're never dead in the spiritual sense. You're only dead in the physical sense, and you step into eternity with Jesus. So, Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord, salvation and power, uh, salvation and glory and power to our God. That means there is a place called heaven, and this is where they are, and they're singing this stuff. 
Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast. This is when we're marrying Jesus, and the, the seven-year feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has been prepared, has prepared herself. The bride prepares, the Lord is preparing a place, we prepare ourselves, and then we spend eternity with the Lord. So here's the big question, where is heaven? I'm also running late this morning. Thanks for staying around. Some of you should have just bolted right then. <clears throat> Revelation 21, where is heaven? Okay, so when I grew up, this is the way we looked at heaven. Hell was in the center of the earth. I didn't even talk about this last week. Hell was in the center of the earth. And why? Because that's where all the magma is. I mean, that's the only way I could process it. Why else would we choose the center of the earth unless it was because of the molten lava? Um, and heaven was up there somewhere. But those are, those are human interpretations of something that we don't really understand. Okay? Let me give you the simple answer, and then I'm going to unpack a little bit. Where is heaven and hell? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. We get some understandings, but Scripture doesn't tell us. I'll show you. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So here's the thing. John is seeing this. He sees the new heaven. Now, remember, the earth has been burnt up and destroyed. I'm going to show you that. Burnt up and destroyed. Now, the new heaven, new earth is coming down out of heaven. The new heavens, new earth coming down out of heaven. This, this city is coming down out of heaven. Where? And where is it coming to? You say, well, John is standing there. Yeah, but where is John standing? And what's he looking at? Where is it coming down to? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. That's one of the keys right there. God wants to be with us. Where is that? I don't think he tells us. In fact, I don't, think, I don't think it's in a place right now that we could define limited, limited to this time and space kind of thing we got going on. Remember, God created time and he created space. He's not limited to those. He's outside of those things. And so where is God right now? He's not in time and space like we are. This is the way I see it. Is he's in a completely different dimension that we don't understand because it's outside of the limitedness of this creation that, it, that the earth is going to be burnt up. He lives with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Psalms 104 verse 5. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. The foundation of the world remains the same but not the planet. The foundation, what is the foundation? That we were created to marry Jesus Christ, that we were created to be the royal priesthood. And there's other things out there that God has created, I don't think in a way that we could visually see them. In other words, I don't think they're coming from Mars or those kind of things. But there are other creations of God that are not within the limited linear one direction time and space that we are right now. And we're going to be the royal priesthood married to Jesus in that, in that context. <clears throat> There's a scripture that talks about this stuff, but not enough that we can really definitively understand even close to what's going on. The foundations of the earth are going to remain, but 
2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, that the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Revelation 21, so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. This is a recap of that earlier thing. So here's the question. Where is this mountain? Is it on the earth? The earth has already been destroyed by this time. Where's this mountain? Just a mountain out in the clouds? I, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm really saying we don't know. And here's another. He says, I see the mountain in the, the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven. Well, where's heaven? And where's it coming to? It's going to descend, and then we're going to go visit, and we're going to hang out. And here's another thing. If you could reverse the camera and not be looking at the holy city, and now you're looking at John, what's behind John in the mountain? There's too much that we just don't know and understand. What God is showing us is something that is completely transcendent spiritually, but is a real place. It's a real thing that we're going to be involved with, and we're going to spend eternity there. But we don't have the ability to understand it in limited human language. Because then he talks about the, and I'm going to skip down through this because you guys are running late. So he talks about the, the walls of, of um, jewels and the pearl gates and, and um, streets of gold. He, he just told us that all the elements had been destroyed. But now these things are part of the, 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 the walls and the road. The greatest things we have are going to be walls and, ro- and, a, and a roads. We don't. What does that mean? I don't know. It's like the greatest thing I got right now in my house is not my fence, which is getting old and rotting and falling down, or my driveway. Those are not the things that are cool about my house. That's all we're getting the description of because why? We can't understand the rest of it. It's beyond us. Revelation 22, verse 1, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On this earth? I don't think so. In the sky? Maybe. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with fresh crop each month. Don't you want to, don't you want to taste that fruit? You know it's got to be good. Verse 4, And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no night there, no need for lamp or sun, for the Lamb of God will shine on them. And they will reign forever and ever. So how do we get there? Relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way. Not religion, not church stuff, not the rules. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the path to heaven. Romans 10, 9. Verse 10. For it is by believing with your heart that you've been made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. We don't, we don't like that one too much in the church nowadays. Just live for Jesus. Don't openly declare it. People will attack you. And as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I thought it would be good that we take communion at the end of this. To me, it kind of makes sense. If, if, you don't, if you didn't get a communion thing, uh, raise your hand. We'll make sure they'll bring it around. Anybody pass it by? Some over here. 
Better raise your hand or you're going to miss it. All right, I want to start with this, the last sentence that I usually read at the last. Verse 26, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. He's going to come get us. He's coming to get us. That's called the blessed hope. Guys, he's coming to get us. Everybody got communion? We also did something a little different this time. So when I was growing up, I remember communion was kind of different. You'd have the glasses of, of grape juice and bread, and people would go. In fact, I've seen a lot of different ways. It would be pieces of bread, and then sometimes there'd be loaves, and people would go tear off a piece. And I liked the bread, so I'd, like, tear a big chunk off so I could eat on it for a while. <clears throat> and uh, now we're so scared of everything that we can't have those kind of things now. So I thought, eh, we got real bread back there. And if you'd rather have the real bread, you can have the real bread. Go get it now if you want the real bread. Um, and, and I thought, you know what? Why, why would we be scared of... I, I, know we're in a, I know we're in a place in our country where we're scared of everything. You've got a mask. you do all this stuff. And the hospital still masks, which to me is so stupidly ironic. But I thought, no, let's just have regular bread. Let's just do the bread thing. And eventually we're going to get to the point where we just pass a bread down the aisle and you just tear off a piece but you can't touch it with your hands, only your mouth. We're going to do some different things. <laughs> I just, I think, we, I think we play so many stupid games about something that can be just really about Jesus. Catholics used to drink out of the same cup. That's a bridge too far for me. Every time you do this, you're announcing Jesus. You're announcing Jesus. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you. We thank you that, Jesus, you took the stripes. You took the beatings. You, you let them destroy your physical humanness so that we could have physical healing. And so, Lord, we accept that, we receive that, and, Lord, I, I ask you to help us to embrace that by faith, that we can be healed because of what you did. In the name of Jesus. So thank you for your broken body. Thank you for that gift to us. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. There is no covenant without the blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Again, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we ask you to wash us clean, forgive us, cover us with your blood. Make us right with God. Lord, I believe with everything in me that the only way to God is through you. Jesus, we ask you to take us. Take us to God through your blood, Jesus. We give you the glory.
Let's take the drink together. Lord, we are so humbled by you, by the amazingness of your grace and your mercy. Jesus, every single person that calls on you can be saved. And I pray that no one in this room walks out without that reality over their life. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Take the opportunity before you leave to um, get to meet the fishers, talk with them a little bit. If you remember, whenever you remember throughout this week, pray for the, uh, the uh, there's, there's about half and half adults and youth that are in um, Peru from our church, about 10 or 11, I think. Pray for them when you think about it. Uh, pray that, uh, that God will do everything he wants and bring them back safe. And then, yes, and that she does not see a snake. She's already done that. She, she saw one, but she didn't go near it. So, um, so before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody how much Jesus loves them, what he did for them, how he died for them. And, uh, and it'll make all the difference in their life, and God will honor it in your life. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.